welcome to the Renaissance episode 68. Ray Harris is uh, tuning in, calling us from 1963. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of the show. I, I, I'm surprised I got through the operator, but I'm really excited yeah. to be here. Call us, call us now. Um, <laughs> Ray and I have spent the last, uh, I don't know, uh, hour and... 40 painful minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah trying to get his microphone, uh, giddy working, the gizmos. Yes, under, underperforming. Yeah, so as usual. do with that what you were Struggling <laughs> to get it up. Um, he said to me at one point, you're going, you're going in, you're going out, you're going in and out, in and out. <laughs> We got a little bit hard at that, but uh, well, well, we, but we're going to move on. Yeah, we're going to move we're on. Gonna do our best yeah. as it is. Yeah, um, our level I, best. I did think I could just do this episode with the soundboard and see how it goes. Um, so we might do that anyway. Part of you. Yeah, I should have had that put in my contract. Anyway, well, this uh, is Renaissance '68, aka Gutenberg Part Four. We're still mm-hmm. talking about the invention of movable type and the book and printing presses and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and in our last episode, Ray, uh, we talked about how the, the Asians, the Chinese, right. the Koreans and the Japanese had all developed versions, variations of movable type and printing presses centuries before yeah. Gutenberg got around to think about it. Yeah. But Gutenberg didn't know any of this. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have books to read about these in. Uh, Yeah, he didn't have internet like you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what you should get up to this weekend is build your own own printing press. And... um, and, Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he had to work it all out for himself. And no one knows the exact process that he went through to develop it because he was the early Steve Jobs, as I said in an earlier episode. He, or Brunelleschi, he kept it all to himself. This, of course, was an era when there wasn't really much in the way of patent protections. And so, as we know, Brunelleschi only invented uh, patents when he was uh, building a ship to get marble yeah. for the dome. So we're talking around 1420 for memory. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's uh, Gutenberg, me a few decades after that. He's like, well, I'm not going to let anyone know what's going on here because they'll they'll uh, yeah. go on a business, go on a competition. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than that. Yeah. And, but there's so much he's got to try to figure out. And like you said, the scholars have been trying to, piece all this together, but there's still so much we don't know. It's like, how did, he decide, how did he decide to make the type that he was going to use? Obviously, he knows a lot about metalwork that's going to benefit him, and he probably was able to skip the steps of trial and error with clay and wood carvings, but again, we're not really sure, and maybe he thought, you know, because of my experience, I could, uh, I could carve each piece that I need from metal, like uh, punch cutters, cut dies when they were minting coins or tool lathering, but again, we don't really know the, the details. Also, um, is there a chance that he's going to cut one punch 
uh, to cut one punch is going to take even a skilled worker like himself one whole day, and he knows he's going to need thousands of these, and he's already been at this a decades and spent a ton, ton of money. He doesn't want to take a couple more years just carving out punches. There's got to be a better, faster way so he can actually move forward before something does leak, his information does get out, and he is faced with competitors before he's really ready to be. Yeah, I was going to say I can I can really relate to where he was at can you? because well if if I had kept the secret to podcasting to myself oh yes it, it, you oh. know it could just be you and me today if I hadn't <laughs> have shown everyone how to do it fifteen years uh, ago it could we, just be you, you and wrote me. A book. I wrote a book. Yeah, well, yeah, I wrote a book. <laughs> I mean, you weren't trying very hard. God damn anyway. it! God damn it! <laughs> If only I'd done these podcasts before then, I would have learned my lesson. Right. Um, So if if you think about the Bible, I mean, each page has hundreds of words, which takes thousands of letters. It took me a while to get my head around this when I was preparing for these episodes. But each each page of a book, um, particularly uh, if you're... You know, throwing a, a, a lot of Bible verses onto a big page, like the the versions of the Bible he was doing were big format, like really, you know, uh, uh, sort of the what do they call it? The pulpit versions of the Bibles, right? Like Shall the one we? that I, one I used in my documentary, yeah. massive. Like that was they're, cool. they're, they're a that was cool. Foot and a half long, right? And a foot wide. Yeah. You can um, kill somebody with it. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, through boredom, if you're reading it, or through hitting him in the head with it. <laughs> Uh, each page of that, hundreds of words, each word has half a dozen letters or more. So you need thousands of that per page you need to have. And, uh, yeah. you know, cutting one punch, even for a skilled puncher like uh, like yourself, um, right, no, not, not many people have <laughs> cut as many punches as you have. Oh, have you, can you cut, right. cut a punch? Um, well, it, it would take a full day to cut a punch. Yeah. If, if you had to do thousands of those, you know, oh, it's taking it's going to take you years to yeah. just get ready to make one book. Now, what he really wished yeah. back then, Ray, yeah. was that you had yeah. written the Bible. Because um, right. if you had written the Bible, it would have, it would have gone something like uh, this. Uh, <laughs> it would have gone, <laughs> Jesus came. Jesus died. <laughs> the end. Uh, and you know that, that would have been up. that would have been easy. He would have he, he would have right. been able to knock that out. But unfortunately, uh, he wasn't so lucky. If I could say, when I when I'm carving, when I'm sitting in the uh, in the rocker on the front porch, if there's banjo music in the bathroom and the bathroom, sorry, that was a Freudian slip. If there's banjo music in the uh, in the background, I really I think it helps me concentrate. I get a little turned on, but mm. I, I carve better and faster. Maybe he should have tried some uh, banjo music in the background. I think you're mixing up carving on the front porch with masturbating on the front porch. I think that's... <laughs> it's it's different. Okay. <laughs> I have to go talk to my aunt. All right, never mind. Scratch, move on. Move on. Just setting one page of the Bible would have taken right. 2,600 pieces of type, they're uh, estimating. Jesus. So he yeah. needed a quick and easy way to produce type. Now, by carving a punch 
for each letter or symbol uh, that you would need, like a, right. a period or, or I don't think they used commas, but they had different fancy things that they used in the Bible, um, yeah. they, he could build what they call a matrix. It's basically a mould from which you can create a relief. So a, a relief is obviously something that's raised up on the surface and then you right. carve the original letter out of metal. You make a mold from that. Then you can sort of make identical letters from that mold. You could pour in metal into the mold mm-hmm. and basically just churn it. So you carve one letter S and then you can turn that into a mold and then you can, you can, pour, you, you can create hundreds of S's just by right. pouring metal in. Right. So he would have had to figure yeah. all of that out. Or he could have just carved punches with individual pen strokes instead of doing whole letters. So you do, if you wanted to do a letter H, for example, you do, you know, a, a one straight line and then you have a die with another straight line and, and a line that goes between wow. them. You could maybe craft letters out of individual pen strokes like that and put them all together. That sounds like it would have been very fucking complicated, though, to have to put that together for a whole page. Um, Anyway, that's that's what they think he did. He figured out, rather than carving these million of these punches individually, I'll just create moulds and create them from moulds. But then he had to figure out how to do that. Yeah, so so not only did the mould have to, uh, not only to produce the work, the raised images on a reversed letter, but it would have to have a metal stem or body to hold the letter. And again, because we're talking about printing here, the dimensions of each piece of type have to be exact. So he has got to work this out in such a way that it's all going to line up. It's all going to, it's all going to just be perfect because he wants it to look like someone's handwriting, but at the same time, their handwriting is flawless. That's what he's going for. Yeah. If you've, if you've got, even just one letter that's slightly lower than the rest, yeah. even by a fucktenth of a millimeter, you, you're going it, to, it's not going to look nice when it all gets printed. No. So you need to figure out how you build these letters in these molds so they're precisely balanced when you put right. them together in the printing press. Uh, and then, secondly, the baseline of the letter mm-hmm. had to be exactly the same as every other piece of type. So when you printed it out it's all straight the letters don't bounce up and down across the page like a follow the coconut kind of thing right it's got to be perfectly straight the width (laughs) of each piece of type has to vary because some letters uh, like is the letter i is going to be narrow others like a an m or a w are going to be wide so he had to figure yeah. all of this out from scratch. And, you know, on the surface of it, I don't know about you, but on the surface of it, I thought, oh, printing press, create a mould, yeah, give me a week. Give me a week, I'll knock that shit out. No problem. Easy. Uh, the more I started to think about it, crazy yeah. hard. And he had to figure it all out. Well, he had some guys around him, obviously, that, that, that had some expertise and some help, but this team had to figure it all out by themselves. And lots of different... Uh, components to this to get it right. Now, one of those was he needed uh, the right combination of metals to pour into the mould. He needed an alloy that would melt easily but harden quickly. Do you know what he called it? No, tell me. The ray alloy. 
melts easily, <laughs> hardens quick. So he just called it the ray. He, right. And it didn't cost a lot because he was going to need a lot of it. So cheap, uh, easily hard, cost, melts yeah, cost, well, cost way more than it was actually worth uh, at the end of the day, he found. <laughs> well, that could be any amount, Cam. God damn it. It cost way, anyway. way more than the actual <laughs> work that it put in. Uh <laughs> And he and he and he, and he, and he wanted it to be cheap because he's going to have to make yeah. lots and lots and lots of pieces of type. Shit time. So he yeah. experimented. Now I find this amazing again because he he already knows about mixtures of lead and tin for making pilgrim pilgrim bad badges. Have you ever heard of pilgrim badges before you did the research for the show? I had not heard of this. They were the original first collectible spoon or snow globes of tourism. Have, have you ever come across these before? No, this was all new to me. I thought it was amazing. So, yeah, so these were popular in the late medieval period. Some Catholics would wear them when they went on a pilgrimage. They were made of a lead alloy, sold as souvenirs at the pilgrimage site, so you had to go there to get that. And the images were related to whatever saint was being venerated there. So, again, this it's basically the first snow globe. So he knows of that kind of stuff. So he's got some experience so he knows about mixing lead and tin, and he probably knows about antimony, a gray metalloid found in nature. And it's been around for a long time, and in its powder form, it's used as medicine or even cosmetics, which seems kind of funky to me, but whatever. But the point is this, he, and he already knows this problem. The lead and tin shrink when they're cooling. Antimony expands as it cools, but each piece of the type has to be the has to have the exact same dimensions so he needs something that's not going to shrink or expand as it cools and this is just something he's like you know this is like probably like the seventh or eighth thing he's going to have to create on his own before he can take the next step forward well i just got back from swimming in the pool (laughs) and the water was cold Uh, (laughs) you mean shrink it yes Significant shrinkage. So you you feel you were shortchanged? Yes. I mean, if she thinks that's me, she's under a complete misapprehension. That was not me, Jerry. That was not me. What's the difference? What if she discusses it with Jane? Oh, she's not going to tell Jane. How do you know? Women aren't like us. They're worse. They're much worse than us. They talk about everything. Couldn't you at least tell her about the shrinkage factor? No, I'm not going to tell her about your shrinkage. Besides, I, I think women know about shrinkage. How do women know about shrinkage? Isn't it common knowledge? Oh. <laughs> Alive, Alive. 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 <laughs> do women know about shrinkage? What do you mean, like laundry? <laughs> no. Like when a man goes swimming afterwards? <laughs> It shrinks? <laughs> like a frightened turtle. <laughs> shrinkage. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah shrinkage. Yeah. Now, uh, before we move on too far from the Pilgrim badges. Um, yes, please. You know, it, it, I think the um, idea of the Pilgrim badges was basically a way of uh, scamming money <laughs> off religious tourists. So they would, yeah, right. they would go to a particular church uh, on a pilgrimage because a, a saint's relic would be there. Um, they didn't right. have the uh, holy uh, uh, healing ray mirror capture <clears throat> devices back then. They hadn't been invented. 
So they, but they wanted to take something back, like a souvenir, basically to say, "Hey, I I was there." Yeah, what did you do on your vacation? Well, I went to see the uh, holy um, uh, penis. What what do we call it? The holy, uh, (laughs) the holy. I'm making a chopping. Can't you see? I'm making a chopping thing with my fingers here. Uh, (laughs) You got the holy fingers, right? (laughs) The holy. The holy foreskin. Fuck, that took me a long time. <laughs> I don't have one because I don't have one. I don't. I don't. I don't. It's hard to come up with a word for it. The holy foreskin. And so they would come back wow. from the, on their vacation yeah. with a, a little carving of the holy foreskin as a pilgrim badge, and uh, you could put it on. There's a great thing about the, that one that you can, you, can, you can wear it. You would wear it around, and they go, "What's uh, what's that <laughs> sticking out, sticking out of your pants?" And you I'm go, sure oh, enough. that's my uh, holy foreskin uh, pilgrim badge. <laughs> I picked it up. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to? You want a closer look? <laughs> get down. You wanna... <laughs> get down. Get down. No, get down there. It's got a picture of Jesus on it. You're gonna love it. Go, get get right in there. Don't, don't be weird. Don't make it weird. <laughs> no. This wasn't it's weird religion. until. <laughs> yeah, that's what no, Father. That's what Father Patrick told me. If it's religious, it's not wrong. It's not weird. <laughs> That's yes. True. That's so, true. so yes, he needed to come up with the exact right combination, and they think by trial and error he came up with a formula that was about eighty-three percent lead, nine percent yeah. tin, six percent antimony, and one percent each of copper and iron. Now you can imagine Damn. how long it took to come up with that. Yes, it couldn't Fuck expand. Me. It had to cool quickly, couldn't shrink, couldn't expand, had to be just right. So a bit like old uh, Thomas Edison trying to come up right. with a light bulb, he just went and stole it from Tesla. And that, that was <laughs> that was oh, all it took. My kind of inventor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Only, only American inventors did that. He was, he was German. He actually did it himself. He did, he did, he did his due diligence. Or but he see, stole that's, that's, it from... Yeah. That other yeah. guy, but anyway, that's another story. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but again, I mean, that's just one of the many things that he has to solve as he's going. Because next, he has to figure out a way to compose the lines of text and lock them on the and lock them into place. So he knows he's going to use a wooden frame, or he comes up with a wooden frame that probably opened up on one side, so the typeset could slide into place. Each line could slide into place. So again, and I think you made this point on the last episode. As he's going through this process, when you when you look at his final product, you're like, yeah, now that makes sense. That's exactly what I would have done. He had to really, literally pick this stuff up as he went along, and because if it didn't work at a certain pace or he couldn't produce a, a certain amount of material each day, then it would have been pointless or it would have been not as made as much money. And as we've already stressed, he has borrowed a shit ton of money. He is massively in debt, and he's still not there yet. Yeah, this, so the wooden frames, too, are more complicated than I had originally imagined. You had to have a, a wooden frame that could open up on one side so you could slide the type right. in. If somebody called a typesetter or a compositor would mm-hmm. slide each letter into place, and they had to do it backwards because, obviously, when you flip it over and print it, you're right. getting a mirror image. So. You've got, I yeah. guess, a, uh, a reference text. You've got a page of the Bible. You're having to figure out how to do it all backwards, a um, bit like you know something out of an episode of Twin Peaks. 
And then there were slivers of wood that slipped in between the type and the frame. Like if you think about the frame as having layers of wooden lines running horizontally across it that you that the type would slot into you had little slivers of wood to stick in between the these frame lines and the individual pieces of type to sort of jam them into place and you would knock those in with a hammer a lot Mm -hmm. of work to think all this through a lot of trial and error took him years and years and years to figure out this you know, probably imagine he, he he did it all and then he'd print a page or something and then look at it and go, well, this is shit. I have to start again. He'd go back <laughs> right. and start again and do it over and over. This guy, like, dedicated decades of his life to figuring no this out uh, so you and I could learn from books, uh, basically <laughs> cheat our way through podcasting. Right. He said, one day, if we get this right, Ray and Cam, well, Cam... We'll be able to read from books. Ray will watch a YouTube, but Cam will read books. And the world will benefit from that. Well, that's debatable. (laughs) At least 17 people. I know there are 17 people listening to this right now. It's like that cartoon that somebody tagged us on on Facebook the other day. Um, You know, I'm a podcaster. I feel like I've been wasting my life and oh, the other right. guy says no thousands of people listens to your po- listen to your podcast you've wasted thousands <laughs> of people's lives and the rest of them you upset yeah yeah but yeah. And, the, and and the other thing is so, he, so he's figuring out the wood block he's trying to figure the stuff out and what i what i really found interesting because you're talking about trial and error what about the ink so he knows he's been doing his, his due diligence. He's been doing his trial and error. He knows that water-based ink used on block printing did not spread evenly over metal typefaces. So, again, this is something else he's going to have to step one, step two, you know, sample number 37 or whatever. So he knows, again, he's going to have to invent a mixture. So what he ends up doing, to, to the best of our knowledge, because there's so much about it we don't know, it seems that he took lamp black, which was soot scraped from glass, placed against a burning candle, and used as a black pigment in water-based inks. He also used heated lead, a copper oxide, and boiled oil, maybe linseed oil. So, again, he's taking all these things, he's mixing them together, and for this last part, he probably was inspired by the artists using oil, oil paints that are just coming into use at this time. But, again, he's got to figure all the stuff out. So whatever he did was, still, was freaking brilliant because the prints that we still have are still clear, deep, glossy black so we're guessing about what he did and how he did it even though we don't know the process but the point is and this is kind of like in some ways kind of like the dome we still don't know the exact recipe that he used for his ink but through his trial and error he came up with something that lasted for hundred you know for centuries so again this guy is a freaking obsessive compulsive adhd perfectionist but we're all benefiting from it yeah so to get the ink Onto the type, he invented mm-hmm. these things called ink balls that became the standard equipment for printers to do this with. And uh, if you haven't seen these in action, get up oh, onto YouTube awesome. and look up yeah. Yeah, Gutenberg Printing Press. So think How about raise ink balls. Right. These things are about the size of what a, a softball. Softball, uh, yeah, yeah. 
with a handle. Thank you. They're, they're made of um, like leather stuffed with wool. They have a wooden handle. And they put some ink on a tabletop on a piece of glass or a piece of marble and then sort yeah. of get these two rubber mallets basically and rub them around on each other and on the ink oh, until yeah. there was just a thin layer. <laughs> Sorry. Talking about main balls. Please continue. <laughs> whoa, whoa, we Run can't around. Are you fucking crazy. <laughs> Uh, they would just get a thin yeah. layer of ink on each of them and then they would sort of pad these things, punch them onto lightly onto the, the type that's sitting inside of the frame. So you get a nice, right. even layer of ink across every letter. You had to make sure you didn't miss a letter. If you printed the yeah. fucking thing and you'd, you hadn't got ink on a letter, back, back to fucking square one and... Of course, these Bibles that he ended up uh, printing were printed on vellum, not on paper. Right. Like the first run oh, edition was designed to be like a collector's edition. Um, yeah. And, and so th- if you fuck this up, I mean, I'm sure he yeah, did a lot of test up. printings first to get the right. process right. But yeah. you couldn't afford to fuck this yeah. up because as we've explained before, vellum, very hard to produce, very expensive to produce. And so you did like your calf skin, basically. You didn't want to fuck around right. with it. Um, if you had to, if you fucked it up and you had to scrape all the ink off, that's it's uh, a big job. Now, the most important thing, of course, that he developed on top of all of this is the printing press itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a again a incredibly involved contraption that probably took a whole bunch of trial and error. Do you want to talk us through what one of these things looks like? Yeah, well, I have to do my one joke. So like I think we said in the last episode, you know, presses were pretty common back then. You know, winemakers were using them from getting juice out of grapes. Papermakers were using presses to squeeze water out of paper. And soon the Spanish Inquisition would be using them to squeeze confessions or conversions out of Jews or other heretics. But boom, boom. <laughs> I enjoy that very much. I, just, uh, I know I was watching on YouTube Stephen Fry he worked with a guy. <laughs> Using a press. No. Sorry, please continue. (laughs) No, but but you're right. He was the first one to use a press to print one that he designed again from trial and error. So again, kids, don't be afraid to make mistakes and and keep moving forward. But the point is, um, he did such a good job with the press that in regards to his design, as far as I can tell, there were no major, maybe even minor changes for the next 300 years. So it might have taken him decades and millions of dollars of, you know, Ben money, but he certainly got it right. Yeah. Now, we know from some of these legal trials that he was involved in that he was doing something involving a press Back yeah. in 1436, when he had to pay the Strasbourg goldsmith Hans Dunn 100 gilden. So we don't really know if that was printing words, if he was testing right. it that early, or if he was doing something else. Um, but anyway, he'd been working on something involving presses for a long time. Time, So, you know, he had a lot of opportunity to think this through and figure it out. Mm-hmm. But as you say, um, the basic design that he came up for the typesetting and the, the printing press, 
didn't change substantially for 300 years after he wow. came out with it. That's that's pretty fucking amazing yeah. work. Wow. Now Because everything changes, everything gets improved almost right away, but yeah. not his printing press. Yeah. You know, we're talking, that, that means the middle of the 18th century. There were no improvements made until the middle of the 18th century. That's, that's, <laughs> Damn. That's pretty incredible Damn. fucking work, right? So um, now, uh, blah, 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 blah. (sighs) Fucking lost my spot. Oh, how long did all this take? Well, we don't really know. As I said, he was so secretive, very Steve Jobsian, Brunelleskian, (laughs) Uncameronwellian, that uh, that we're we're just (laughs) guessing, really. He didn't write anything down. He didn't leave a diary. He didn't leave any notes. There are no legal... Prod, uh, for legal cases that really give us any indication about how long this went on. Neither did any of his uh, co-conspirators or colleagues. Uh, there was obviously yeah. a lot of people working on this with them, with him. Right. No one wrote this stuff down. So the top secret project that we know was going on might have been this, and I think we we can relatively safely assume it was this, but it might have been something else. It might have been a new way of printing magic healing ray mirrors or, or pilgrim right. badges or pornographic images of uh, men yeah. having sex with goats. I mean, we don't really know what it was, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think the, the general assumption is it was the book, which means he was working on it for at least a decade. Right. Now, Damn. meanwhile, yeah. Yeah. in Harlem... In Holland, the original Harlem, right. Right. there was a man called Lorenz Janzun Costa, mm-hmm. who, according to legend, invented the printing press decades before Johnny G. Ooh, a legend. A Dutch legend. You know what they say about them? No, I don't either. <laughs> Never mind. Because there, there really are none. Um, now, the story is, is that in the 1420s, Costa invented movable type with metal letters and a printing press mm. and printed several books and was wow. quite successful. Now, this is decades before right. Gutenberg. But then Costa caught the plague when it was going around again, sort of 1439, mm-hmm. 1440. And died, but when he died, one of his partners, a guy by the name name of Johann Fust or Faust, stole his presses and his letters and his type and all that kind of stuff and took them to mines where he met up with Gutenberg, who took credit for Costa's invention, in as much as he took credit for anything, but... Because uh, right. you know we, he didn't, as I said, he didn't like patent anything, didn't leave an autobiography, etc. But uh, what, what do you think about this story that it was invented earlier in the 1420s in Holland, Ray? Um, that's that's interesting, but considering how much, and, and, and you never know, obviously, but considering how, how much for the for the lack of for lack of a better word, fame that Gutenberg's going to have when he starts printing, at least in at least in Mainz, at least in the local area, I imagine if somebody had come up with this earlier, it might have gotten out. But if there's anything that's going to wreck that, it would definitely be the plague. 
I just find it a little hard to believe. I, I think word would have gotten out somehow. What about That's you? the way it is. That's the way it will always be. Yeah, let's go with that. Well, there's really no evidence to back this story of Costa. Right. Uh, Lawrence Janzun Costa. There are no known works printed by him. The earliest yeah. version of this story appears in 1588, so 160, uh, 70 years later. The first yeah. book that we know of that was printed in Holland was printed decades after Gutenberg's first book. But yeah. what we do know is that this guy, Fust, was in fact a partner of Gutenberg. We have legal documents from 1455 that shows a dispute between Fust and Gutenberg. Fust was apparently some kind of a, a banker. He loaned Gutenberg a large amount of money for this big secret project that was mm -hmm. going to require all new type and presses and premises. Gutenberg promised to repay the loan plus 6% interest after the project was completed and this project was printing the first Bible called the Gutenberg Bible or the 42-line Bible because it has 42 lines to a page. And the story behind this is quite tragic. Gutenberg yeah. had spent years, as we've said, inventing, well, assuming he didn't just get it all from this uh, Dutch guy, Costa. Um, right. And that's you know, the fact that we don't have any evidence of that is possible because obviously lots of things didn't survive in those days. Mm -hmm. Maybe he didn't print anything like a Bible that was uh, going to be kept and treated um, with a level of reverence. Maybe he just printed some legal documents uh, or, or something else that, right. as we'll see, a lot of the stuff that Gutenberg printed barely survived at all. So it's possible that Fust printed a lot of stuff that just didn't survive uh, because no one gave a shit back then. Oh, what's this? You know, just a fancy right. fancy way of making them them their book things? Um, who, who gives a shit? Let's use it for fire. Right. I mean, what, what, it's cold. Throw throw another yeah. book on the fire. No one, no one really gave a shit for a long time. Yeah. If you're illiterate, as most people were, and you find a book... Uh, it's good for firewood, really. That's all it's good for. Or keeping the door open. Uh, using as a doorstop, really, people didn't have a reverence for it, depending on what it was. The brilliant thing that Gutenberg right. did was print Bibles, right? Because obviously people gave a shit about Bibles. Now, yeah. this. Uh, so getting back to him and, and Faust or Fust, um, he, he borrowed a ton of money from Fust, used it to have to build all new equipment, all new premises, all new type to do this Bible project, his big project, had only three Bibles left to print when Fust called in his loan. Oh, my God. Now, my reading between the lines here, uh, he had agreed to you know, loan the money to Gutenberg for a period of time, let's say, how long is it going to take? Gutenberg said, oh, three years. Okay, you can have it for three years, but the loan needs to be repaid at the end of three years. And Gutenberg's running behind in the, proj sorry, the project because 
maybe shit went wrong and tests didn't work out. It took him longer to get it right. And Fuss goes, can't wait anymore, need my money back, and took right. Gutenberg to court. Gutenberg couldn't pay him the money because he didn't have any money because he, I mean, he had his stipend and that kind of stuff, but not enough money to, to pay Fust back. So Fust took right. him to court. Now, Fust claimed that he had to borrow the money himself and mm-hmm. he had to pay it back and it was running late. So there's a November 1455 legal document that records a partnership for the project of the books which Gutenberg had uh, used for other purposes, according to Fust. Oh, shit. Hookers oh, and shit. coke. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, it, it sounds to me that one theory is maybe that it, it, Gutenberg was running late, but do you have any other theories of what may have happened here, Ray? No, I, I just think it was time and Fust was getting impatient because – as we're going to get into, you know, a couple of years went by and having to pay interest on that amount of money must have been tax- taxing even to Fust. So I think it might have just been desperation. But being a businessman, if he felt that some of that money was going to other projects that we can or cannot talk about that Gutenberg was printing, I mean, yeah, that's going to piss that businessman off and he's going to come after Gutenberg. So we don't know the details, but at some point, his patience or money or both ran out and he takes the guy to court. Or maybe Fust was just uh-huh. a cunt. Maybe yeah, cunt this moves. was his plan yeah. all along. All along, yes. Capitalism, Brilliant. baby. You uh, loan somebody the money, and <laughs> Gutenberg comes to him two and a half years into it and says, look, uh, as you know, um, it's taken us a little while to get the design of this new type. It needs to be perfect. These are going into fucking Bibles, right? It needs to be perfect. It's taken us a little bit yeah. longer to get right. Um, I can I can knock them out as is. Um, it's, they're not going to be perfect, but I could do it now. Or if, if you can give me a little bit of extra leeway, um, right. give me an extra six months, I can do it perfectly. And first, says, theory, maybe, I'm just guessing, uh, he could have said, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Just yeah, take all the time you yeah. need. Get it right, man. Like, this is great <laughs> stuff you're doing. This is great work. And, you know, people are going to be talking about this on podcasts 600 years from now. So let's not, <laughs> let's not, uh, you know, half ass it. it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be like, we're Germans. That would be like, yeah. you know, somebody phoning in to a podcast instead <laughs> of, you know, that, we don't want to be doing that or not doing enough research. Um, uh, do it right. And, and Gutenberg said, well, okay, great, thanks. Uh, let's put that in writing. Oh, writing, schmiding. No. Just handshake. 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 Wait, are, we yeah. not, are we not gentlemen? Handshake on that shit. <laughs> and then pulls the plug on him yeah. when the project's nearly right. finished. Anyway, whatever, whatever the truth of the story is, the, the case was found in favour of Fust. Gutenberg couldn't pay even when right. ordered to by the court. And so Johann Fust was given the printing press, the type, the premises, and half of all the printed Bibles. Fuck. And, and I just have to say, I just want to add this, because this is Germany at this time, it is a, it is a capitalist system, but it's also religious. As long as... Um, 
was willing to, I think, put his fingers on some kind of holy object and swear that he borrowed the money specifically for Gutenberg and he had been paying the interest on it, that Gutenberg was responsible for paying it back and the interest, which is obviously going to wreck Gutenberg. So again, there's no real proof. It's just his word, but he's, but he's promising to God that's good enough for the Germans. And now Gutenberg is is you know he's he's losing almost everything you know more than a decade worth of work and and a shit ton of money and gutenberg was effectively bankrupted just yeah. before his bible came out so when the first printed bible did come out the gutenberg bible it didn't right. have gutenberg's name on it and he Fuck. didn't have the rights to it but people are going to to a degree not that this helps him at all because he's been rather affluent most of his life and, and live, even though he's working very hard you can't take that away from him but he's had he's had his creature comforts as far as we know again there's a lot we don't know but there's been some money in his family and now this guy is is his is finally paid off he's he's in, printed out this beautiful bible his name is not on it and he technically owes a lot of money which as far as we know he didn't pay back but again he lost the printing press uh you know a lot of his uh a lot of his Clock. So this guy is just devastated. What is he going to do? Because the courts have spoken. But again, he has achieved his dream. It just comes in a very sucky way. And he, he's probably thinking about going, yeah, now I'm going to kill myself, except it's a sin. So the guy, it's, it's, it's a juxtaposition of glory and defeat all rolled together. Now, uh, to, to make matters worse or to make it even look even more suspicious Fust's witness in his court case against Gutenberg was a guy by the name of Peter Schoffer who was one of Gutenberg's apprentices apprentices he got up in court and said yeah yeah he has been snorting cocaine off of hooker's tits uh, every night instead of working on the bible that's why it's running late i mean get me don't get me wrong i i, I partake in these uh, right. events when they happen, uh, but he did. Yeah, it was, uh, it was. He's spending the money on it now. Schofer, Peter Schofer, the guy who was one of his apprentices, later became Fust's partner in his own printing firm. <laughs> Fust basically took all of Gutenberg's stuff, the premises, the printing presses, the type, and went into business for himself. And this guy that testified against Gutenberg. Um, not only became his partner in the firm, it's like right. if you uh, testify against the old man, you and I can, right. uh, you know, take his shit and go and do this ourselves, keep all the money. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll throw in my daughter. You can marry my daughter and be yeah, my be partner my in the firm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so they The other things... Things fell together a little too perfectly for Foust and Schoffer, uh by the end of this. So you've got to think, I mean, if they didn't plan it out, as a hell of a series of coincidences. So it almost sounds like there might have been some aforethought before all this got started. It may be completely innocent. Maybe they were like, maybe Foust was like, well, now I've got all of that stuff. Uh, you're out of a job. Do you want to come yeah. and... Uh... Work for, for me, me. and, yeah. and yeah. you know how yeah. to run the equipment, so I'll make your part. I'll be on financing and sales. You be on the back end. Mm -hmm. um, oh, who's that? Oh, that's my daughter. Oh, okay. And maybe it all <laughs> happened organically. Maybe it's fishy. We don't know. But Fust and Schoffer yeah. uh, printed their own first book in 1457, The Mines Salter. Um, right. uh, do you know what a Salter is, Ray? You're a good ex-Catholic um, boy. 
I knew the last time we recorded, was it, was it all the Psalms and something else, mm. uh, advice? I can't remember. I can't remember. Yes, it's a, just a collection of all the oh. biblical Psalms in a book. Yeah. What, what's a Psalm, right? I don't know. Is it a wow. letter or advice? Wow. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. Wow. I was a bad Catholic when I was wow. a Catholic. Come on, wow. are you surprised by that? Wow. Come on. You don't know what a psalm is. Wow. No. Mm. I feel bad. Not no. Really. No, you don't. Yeah, uh, yeah a psalm <laughs> is a, a sacred song. They're in the Old Testament, uh, the psalms. Um, oh, once you get out your guitar, we'll sing one. <laughs> Oh, don't tempt me. Uh, <laughs> you love to whip it out. Come on. Yeah. And this time I'm talking about the cigar. Uh, yeah. Cigar. Sorry, Freudian slip guitar. <laughs> uh, in fact, in many of the Psalms uh, were, were supposed to be sung with a stringed instrument. Uh, the Greek right. translation of the Hebrew word, which I think is mizmor, is zamos. And then they were called zalmoi in most of the Greek versions of the Old Testament. Septuagint, etc. Mm-hmm. An English name is Psalms. We get it from. Um, or there was a translation in a fifth century version of the Septuagint, and it was called the Salterion, which is where the English mm. name Salter comes from. So you can call ah. it the Book of Psalms or the Salter. Anyway, so back to uh, Fust and Schofer. Yeah, they printed the Mines Salter. August 14th, 1457, a folio of 350 pages. It's the first printed book with a complete date on it. So they wow. act, and I've got a I've got an image of it here. It's it's quite beautiful. Um have mm-hmm. you had have you had a look at it? No, no I haven't. But it's pretty. Yeah, very pretty. Uh sort of gothic <laughs> script um and and the First letter on each page is this big, beautiful, ornate blue letter with a red background. There's like pictures, mm. and this one I've got is a there's a dog, mm. uh, I think, in, inside of this uh, picture. And the thing is, we may have said last time. Uh, no, I'm going to say this time. The uh, the these books you would see most of the text is black and is is right. printed on the printing press, but. There are a lot of like first letters of each sentence or the first letters of a paragraph or the first letter on the page are bigger, red, blue, more ornate. These were still hand-drawn in. So they would print mm. 99% of the letters, but there was still 1% of the letters that they'd have somebody come. Because this is the way it had been done in the handwritten Bibles. You had these ornate right. things. Too hard right. to do uh, with the printing press, so they were still hand-drawn in. The mine salt is known for these uh, multiple colours, red and blue throughout it, made mm-hmm. from type in two pieces. And in the book, it actually sort of bragged about the process through which it had been printed. It has Dick. written inside of it, This volume of the Psalms, adorned with a magnificence of capital letters and clearly divided by rubrics, has been fashioned by a mechanical process of printing and producing characters without use of a pen, and it was laboriously completed for God's holiness by Joachim Fust, citizen of Mainz, and Peter Schofer of Gernsheim on Assumption Eve in the year of our Lord, 
1457. No mention of Gutenberg. It came out the year after Gutenberg's Bible came out. There are 10 copies of the Mein Salter still in existence, only 10 copies Mm -hmm. of the original 1457 edition, which actually makes it rarer than the Gutenberg Bible. Right. Still, let let me ask you a question. If you were a chauffeur, would you trust Foust? I mean, he was there all the step of the way, you know, and it doesn't take much to, you help someone stab someone else in the back. I mean, it's conceivable that it might, it might be in the future that this person stabs you in the back. I don't know. I mean, I would have had to have everything written out, looked over by my lawyer or whatever, but from what I was able to gather, they went on and they had a, lucrative uh, career together. One was a business guy. One was, um, even though Foust, I think, might have been a metal worker as well. I think that was in his past. But, yeah, Chauffeur was a calligrapher, and he, he knew printing. So as far as I know, they had a they had a successful business for quite some time together. But still, the, tr- the trust for me would have been, I would have been paranoid every morning that I woke up working with this guy. Yeah, it's the same way I feel about you. It's why I don't let <laughs> That's why I don't let you know anything about how podcasting works behind the scenes. It's all a big mystery. You, right. you even Could have you to send fo- me a copy of your book? You have to phone right. in. <laughs> <laughs> phone it in. But boom. Okay. Literally, Ray phones it in. That's the name of this episode. <laughs> now, the first. We are getting to a new low. Yeah, the, go ahead. The first <laughs> type that Gutenberg invented or designed for printing is known as the DK type uh, or the dick. They just, uh, they'd say, can you hand me another dick? Yeah, no problem. So I've got it right here. Not that, the type. Oh, <laughs> did they have some laughs over that? Like That joke's getting old. Never gets old, Gutenberg would say. Why do you think I called it the dick type in the first place? Talking um, about my penis. Yeah. What does DIC stand for, Ray, DK? So I know I can describe DK, but I do not know exactly what it stands for. Um, I know. Deutsche That's Klein? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> oh, what yeah. does it stand no, for? For a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. See, no, because... Let me try that again. <laughs> yeah. Donatus Calendar, Um, DK, Donatus Calendar. Name is taken from two words, the Ars Grammatica of Aelus Donatus. That was a very famous book on Latin grammar, probably the book that Gutenberg himself as a young lad would have read to learn Latin. And the calendar, as in the calendar. The font is quite thick, rectangular, based on a handwriting called text. Sorry, based on a handwriting should have had shouldn't have had cheesecake for breakfast. Based on a handwriting called textura, which was a very formal type of writing in Europe in those days, called textura because it was uh, so thick. Uh, that it gave the impression of like a a textured woven pattern across a page. Uh, But we know it as Gothic, Gothic script or Gothic minuscule or sometimes called 
Black Ladder. Black Ladder. Mm. The sound of hoofbeats cross the glade. Good folk, lock up your son and daughter. Beware the deadly flashing blade. Unless you want to end up shorter. Black Ladder. Black Ladder. Black leather, black leather, it goes across my knees. <laughs> now, Carolingian minuscule that we've talked about before. Remember, Carolingian minuscule was this version that, when the uh, Renaissance guys came across it, they thought it was the original Roman script. They're like, oh, "Oh, this is so fucking old. This must have been the way the Romans wrote." No, it was uh, Carolingian, uh, so sort of ninth century. But right. um, it, it's the direct ancestor of Black Ladder. Now, why is it called Gothic, Ray? Ooh, um, because it wore long black trench coats and kind of made people uncomfortable in public. <laughs> no, I don't know. Mm, no. Mm. It was first called Gothic. In the middle of the 15th century in Italy, in the middle of the Renaissance, because the Renaissance humanists believed it to be a barbaric kind of style, very fucking hard to read, right. uh, not very, you know, not very conducive to quick copying or quick reading, and Gothic was a synonym for barbaric because the Goths sacked Rome, as we talked right. about. Um, of course, they were Christians. Uh, let's remember that. But they were the they were the barbaric kind of Christians uh, to the Romans. So yeah. Gothic means shitty, barbaric, uh, rapey Christian. That's basically what Gothic means. Who yell a lot, right? Mm. Now there was a guy called uh, Flavio Biondo. Uh, in the middle of the 1500s, he wrote a book called Italia Illustrata in 1531. Mm -hmm. He wrote that the Germanic Lombards invented this script after they invaded Italy in the 6th century. Um, Not true, but uh, they they, they were like, well, fuck, let's just go with that. Um, Sure. Sounds good. Fair enough. Yeah. Not true at all. But because they were illiterate, most of them, they could, some of them could write, I guess. But no, I don't. And we don't uh, have any extant copies, uh, really, of their handwriting, I don't think. Not a lot of books that go back to the right. 6th century uh, that have survived. Uh, copies of them, but not the original Ridgy Digges. Um, so we don't really know. Mm, so he's, he's finally got to the point of his life where he creates, he's able to manifest his dream of decades and. He gets sued. He loses it all, but he does stay on his feet. Um, but it's not the same. It can't be the same. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy offed himself, you know, climbing up on the closest cathedral and jumping off, which I think is a sin. Uh, but he doesn't give up. He, you know, he stays, and maybe he has something to prove. I don't know, but but he's he's not keeping up because I don't think that's the kind of person that he is. No, and I want to go back in time a little bit. So before he did the Bible, uh, Mm -hmm. that wasn't his first printing project. Once he had figured out the basic processes and the type was cast and the steps were developed, 
and he was ready to go public. He started, as you would imagine, with some small projects that would give him a chance to perfect the whole process and yeah. I guess work out the logistics of running a, a print shop. One of the oldest surviving fragments of his printing is a scrap of paper about the size of a postcard printed with dick type, front and back, 11 lines of a poem, a German poem that was fairly popular at the time called the Sibylline Prophecies. This is where a a Sibyl or a prophetess reveals the future to King Solomon, telling him that Jesus is going to come. Sure and uh, everything that's going to happen to the Christian church after that. By the way, my mother, it's my birthday yesterday. Oh, happy uh, birthday. My mother ga- Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you very much. My mother gave me the best uh, birthday card. Uh, see if I can find it here. Hold on. I don't, I'll read it out to you. All right. It says, the front cover of it says, once upon a time, a very special person was born who was destined to change the world. Mm-hmm. And then you open it up and it says, calm down, it's not you, it's Jesus. <laughs> That's so hard. I, I think he'd want you to have a happy birthday, though. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Thanks Mom. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> You're special. Um, so, yes, uh, the, this poem now. Um, the poem uh, apparently uh, strongly criticised corrupt popes. Yeah. So the first thing that we know of that Gutenberg printed was a poem that uh, attacked the popes. Right. Good so, for him. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. Now, to save on paper with this one, he set the poem like prose and the entire poem would have filled about 28 pages. Now, the only surviving fragment that we have of it this uh, postcard fragment. Right. The text isn't very straight. Oh. We talked before about how you get it straight. It wasn't very straight. It wasn't very well aligned at the end. Some of the letters are dark. Others you can barely see. So he was still yeah. experimenting, experimenting to figure out how to get the cast at, at uh, of, of the type at an even height. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's perfect. Now, uh, sometime after he printed this thing, some other guy, a bookbinder, thought it was such a piece of shit, this first printing by Gutenberg, that he cut up a copy of it to use as scrap paper and he used the surviving piece that we now have to line the wooden cover of a better printed book. Oh, my God. Well, at least... Then that book... Right. Yeah. That book was cut up by another printer who used it as the cover of a third book. That book was then shredded by a slave girl, fed to a horse who shattered out. Then his shit was used as the cover for yet a fourth book. That book (laughs) fell over, went into the swamp, caught fire. No, go ahead. Was thrown into the sun by Superman. Right. Uh, He recovered the uh, atomic basis of it, sure. turned it into kryptonite, put it, built a book out of it, put it in the so- Fortress of Solitude where it was stolen by Batman to yeah. use against <clears throat> Superman if he ever turned evil, stolen by the Joker. By uh, the way, I saw the, I saw the Joker film I for the second time last night. Right. 
Um, that good, huh? And that that book today, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, is a little boy called Barack Obama. <laughs> Was the Joker movie really that good to see it twice? Yes, better oh, wow. the second time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You haven't seen it, so I don't want to spoil it for you or for the listeners, but I have a theory on it. Okay. If you want to discuss my theory, uh, go to Facebook and have a look at my post from today or email me. But, uh, yeah, no, no, definitely go. I went with my sons last week, and then Chrissy wanted to see it, so I went with her last night. She did, she hates superhero films, but I was like, right. no, 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 it's not a superhero film, man. This is like yeah. – this is the this is a great film and yeah she came out of it last night fucking blown away as as we all damn yeah, really good highly recommend was great it a lo- film a lot of violence a lot of gruesome violence not, or? not a not a lot a little bit not a lot okay just a bit all right yeah very fucking gruesome the violence in it but only a bit of it um, but it's just a story of a guy who's a mentally ill guy who's driven mad by society and um, just gets fucking beaten up and kicked around and treated like shit yeah. and finally snaps uh, at the end. No, really, really well done. Anyway, um, yeah, the first book they think that uh, Gutenberg printed was the Ars uh, Minor uh, of Ailas Donatus. Mm-hmm. I talked about before the um, the 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 book that he learned Latin from as a boy, Gutenberg is, Gutenberg that is. It was the most widely distributed book apparently in the 15th century, even more widely distributed than the Bible. Yeah. It was was the thing that you had to read to learn Latin grammar and apparently in the 15th century, you know, we're getting in the middle of the 15th century, getting into the Renaissance, people wanted to learn their Latin, education was slowly starting to develop further. Mm-hmm. And so good commercial opportunity for him yeah. was to print that before he stepped it up to the Bible. But we're out of time, and so we'll have to talk about that uh, next time on episode 69 of the Renaissance, um, by which stage you will not be on the phone anymore. You'll be using pigeons <laughs> and uh, tying messages right, we'll to just, the legs of pigeons, I assume. We'll keep de-evolving as the episodes go by. Stay tuned. Yeah. Well, that's ba- basically the United States is in a uh, <laughs> full-on collapse right now. Oh, oh my God. And uh, it's, it's affecting well, our podcast. I think it's funny that I wrote you the email on Monday saying, yeah, let's not do a sh- new show. There's not much going on. And the next day, I think it was the next day, Trump, um, yeah, pulls out so the Kurds can be attacked. So Trump got us again, but we'll definitely be talking about that next week on the Bullshit Filter News show. Yes, indeed. All right. Kick it ass. Oh, my beer. I'm one fourth Cherokee. Because she's a whore. If you're 13 and you're willing, I'll do geriatric sex. One armed fucking. That's a power play, baby. Him and Rule Brainer before, I think. Don't tell me what to do. You are a trendsetter in your head.